0: Open your Bibles to Matthew 22, if you have them. If you don't, there's one in front of you. If you do have the Three Crosses app, the text is on there under today's sermon. You can click on that. If you were here last week, we had a lively discussion about politics. If you weren't here, we still did. You can grab that online and listen to that. seems like we've got a one-two combo last week and this week talking about how to deal with people who are abrasive in the community? How do you deal with that person who is an avid Trump supporter and makes you embarrassed at family dinner? How do you deal with that person who won't stop talking about Hillary Clinton and you just makes your blood boil, right? That was last week. We're done with that. This week we're gonna talk about how to deal with that person who does that at a theological level. It's people who just won't stop talking about these nuances of theology and it makes you embarrassed and cringe and angry. You know anyone like that? Well, maybe it's you then. (laughs) We're going to read Matthew 22, and then we'll talk about it. We're going to look at this passage from verse 23 down to verse 33. That same day, the same day that Jesus got tested by the Pharisees about this politic, that same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. And teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? It's a really good question. <laughs> and Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's pray as we open God's word together. Lord, help us to be a humble people. I are thinking about that text last week about how to deal with politics and infighting in the church and in our family and in our homes. And you taught us to be a people with a humble, God-honoring politic that works well with discussion and brings life and healing and grace into the world. And Lord, we pray this week as we look at this text that you would do that in us when it comes to what we believe. And we know so many people who are so dogmatic and angry and vitriolic with their beliefs. Oh, we don't want to be that. And we don't know what to do with that when those people come into our homes or into our small groups into our workplaces, into our discussions, and we pray that you would give us wisdom. Let us learn from Jesus how he dealt with people who were theological adversaries. We pray that you would create in us a humble theology that's honoring to you and beautiful and biblically founded and gospel-centered and yet engages in beautiful dialogue with people who don't believe and people who believe otherwise. We believe all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I'm driving down Redwood Road in in Castro Valley, and I I see that everyone's turning their heads and looking at someone who's standing on the corner in front of Safeway. And every every time I see that cars are slowing down and people are looking, I start kind of not really praying, just like hoping, like, don't let it be a Christian. Don't let it be a Christian. Don't let it be a Christian with a sign. Sometimes it's a Christian with a sign standing on the street corner. It says, God hates you. Have you ever seen these signs? you're all going to hell. You're terrible. It lists all the types of people that God hates. I'm like, oh, geez, they're one of us. <laughs> and they're spouting this hatred. We remember walking down the street in San Francisco one day, and there was a guy literally standing on a soapbox. Like, I don't know where you get soapboxes, but Christians find them, right? And, and he's standing on this soapbox And he's got a megaphone, a literal megaphone, and he's screaming the same vitriolic stuff. You're all going to hell. Turn or burn. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Right. And I bet that guy thought he was like John the Baptist. But I just want to cower in those moments. And when I'm with friends that aren't believers, I feel like I want to go and say, like, "Hey, um, we're not really on the same team." Right. Like. That guy, he's angry, I'm nice, right? Like, see how I don't hate you, right? You feel everyone's eyes looking at you like, that's one of your people. No. It's one thing when it happens on the streets. It's another thing when it happens in your own family, right? Like, most of us in here would say, hey, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. But some of us have people in our families who are like angry Christians. You know what angry Christians are? Like people who are just angry about everything, angry about the way the world is going, angry about politics, angry about theology. They've got this this thing they want everyone to believe and they won't stop talking about it, right? Like even though you're a Christian and they say they're a Christian, you don't want them coming to Thanksgiving anymore. Because, see, you know these people. You were tricking me before. I got nervous for a second. These people take a nice family conversation around Thanksgiving when it's supposed to be about football and turkey and thankfulness, right? And all of a sudden, it's about their weird theology again. All they want to talk about is some theological concept you've never even heard of, like predestination or biblical inerrancy or the state of the world today or the end times. And don't you know that Barack Obama is the antichrist? And you're like, oh my goodness, right? Have you met someone like that? If you haven't, God is showing great favor to you. You should be. (laughs) These people are out there. I meet them. They come to me. I get their emails, right? It seems like Christianity is a religion that's about truth and discovering truth and, and finding truth and believing the truth. But some people, they find the truth and, and they feel like they need to go and just pound everyone else over the head with it, right? And you want to say, like, hey, man, like, can't you calm down a bit? Like, look at Jesus. He wasn't like that. Jesus didn't scream at people. I don't think Jesus owned a soapbox Jesus didn't have a megaphone. He wasn't yelling. He didn't make people feel dumb all the time. Jesus was not always arguing with people, making sinners feel bad. Wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Didn't Jesus eat with people who didn't believe what everyone else believed? Wasn't Jesus the person who was nice? Why can't you be nice? Stop ruining Thanksgiving. Have you ever wondered what to do with people like that? And you just sit there at Thanksgiving and just let them go on their rant. You just quietly make your own plans for Thanksgiving this year. And, oh, my family and I were going away. <laughs> Do you go and stop and talk to the person on the soapbox on Powell Street? Do you pull your car over and start honking at that person and say, don't listen to him? Just turn the other way, turn the other cheek. Sometimes you feel like, man, the reputation of the church is at stake here. Right? Like before Facebook, this wasn't that big a deal. But now that those voices are everywhere, right? Angry Christian people online yelling and spouting and proving. and uh, What do you do? In Matthew 22, we get to see what Jesus did when angry, angry snarky religious people came at him. When they came spouting their theology, when they came trying to make them look stupid, when they came with their agenda, when the whole group of these Sadducees, these these religious elite, these people who thought they knew the Scriptures, they thought they knew God so well, better than everyone else, right? They knew what the Bible said. They didn't listen to all the opinions and all the traditions. They were Bible people, and they knew what was right. And as far as they were concerned, Jesus was a heretic. Jesus believed in this stupid thing called the resurrection, right? Which now we know is a real thing because he did it himself. And yet at the time, the Sadducees were people who didn't believe in the resurrection. And and, and they went to Jesus to try to make him look dumb because he did. They had studied the Old Testament. And they said, in the Old Testament, we don't see a case for the resurrection from the dead. What does David say in the Psalms? He says, God, no one praises you from Sheol. No one praises you from the grave. Once you die, it's over. There's no afterlife. There's no resurrection. There's no life to come. There's no heaven. You die ashes to ashes. Sorry. So they come to Jesus to try to make him look stupid because Jesus was talking about an afterlife, talking about heaven, talking about resurrection and a kingdom that was to come where we would stand in it together. So, if you ever wanted to know what Jesus would do with the angry religious people, we get to see it right here. They come to him, and Matthew tells us they bring him a question about the resurrection. If you didn't pick up on it at first, the question they ask him is pretty snarky, it's pretty sarcastic. And they think his theology is dumb. They think resurrection is laughable. And so they make up this scenario. They say, hey, Jesus, we know you believe in the resurrection. Let us just ask you a hypothetical question, right? Stan here is married. They don't say Stan, but I make up weird names. Stan here is married. He's a great guy, great wife. But then Stan drops dead of a heart attack. Oh, no. At least he's alive in the resurrection, right? Right? Then Stan's brother is a good guy, and the Bible says that he should take care of Stan's wife, and so he marries Stan's wife. Cool. Then he drops dead. And now his younger brother, Frankie, right? now he I'm going to forget all these names, but Frankie now marries Stan's wife and the guy I didn't name his wife. And now she's taken care of by this third guy, and then he drops dead of a heart attack. Right? And instead of wondering, like, whoa, what is happening? Is someone poisoning this man? Let's just keep going, right? And then he dies, and then he dies, and he dies. And by the time the whole thing is done, seven guys have been married to this nice lady, and, and, and six of them are dead. So, Jesus, here's the question. I mean, I know you believe in the resurrection. It makes total sense and all that, but, like, who is she married to in heaven? Stan? Frankie? The other five guys? Combination of a few? How do they like is she a polyandreist? Is that a thing? Polygamist? What would you expect Jesus to say? Angry people coming with their religious Push, they want to make him look stupid theologically. And, and here's a quick tip: never argue politics or theology with Jesus, right? We've learned that. Jesus created theology, um, so he's probably not the best arguing. Yeah, but they go, they go to Jesus and what would you expect him to say? Except to chastise them, say, you know what, guys? Stop being bullies. Stop being so angry. Stop making fun of people. Stop trying to come and push you theology. You'd expect him to kind of chastise him for that. Or say, you know what, guys, like theology divides. <laughs> who cares, right? Let go and let God, right? Love people, love God. Don't worry about all these little things, right? And Jesus, wasn't he like a practical guy? Didn't he not care about theology? No. Jesus comes to these guys who are bullying him theologically And he says, and I love how Jesus always responds, Matthew 22 is fun in this way. Jesus says, you guys are wrong. (laughs) You are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He says, hey, cool, cool story about Frankie and the other names I forget already, but the whole thing's wrong. You think that you're experts on the Bible, you don't know the Bible. You think you know the power of You don't know the power of God. And Jesus simply says, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. The Sadducees also didn't believe in the angels in heaven. And Jesus goes to these guys, and in this beautiful way, he just dismantles their theology and says, you're just wrong. And sometimes I wonder what would happen if I went up to the soapbox preacher and said, hey, just so you know, like, you're wrong, man. (laughs) God doesn't hate people. What if I went up to that person at Thanksgiving dinner and they're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. Barack Obama's the Antichrist. Like, nope, you're wrong. I feel like when Jesus said stuff, people are like, oh, you're right. Right? When I say stuff, people get mad. I feel like normally the reason I don't engage in discussion with angry theological people is because they just come back at me and it gets worse. Right? It's like some of you like to do that. You like to argue, and your wife or your husband's always nudging you, like, stop talking to those people, right? Because it just gets crazy and it just turns into this big thing. And yet, Jesus had a way of not just turning a blind eye to someone who is a theological abuser or who was wrong, but engaging with folks in a way that just brought truth and beauty and dismantled the volatile situation. And last week we talked a little bit about developing a politic that does that about being a people, and if you weren't here, I'll give you the glimpse, being a people who developed a way of looking at the world and the political systems of this world that is God-honoring, biblically-centered, grace-filled, merciful, humble, life-giving, where we can have good dialogue about politics, where people walk away saying, maybe I don't agree with that woman, or maybe I don't agree with that guy, but man, there's something different about them. They love people. They love God. Now, Jesus shows us that he, he's not going to get into a giant argument, but, but he has this way of looking at the world. He has this worldview that when he engages with people who disagree with him, it's just beautiful, and humble, and dismantles the tension fairly quickly. And I read this text and I think, I wish I could do that. I wish I could talk to the angry person and convince them. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could stop that the Thanksgiving theology and, and pull someone aside and say, hey man, like, let's talk offline about this. You're making our family think Christianity is crazy. Right? Hey, let's have this discussion on Thanksgiving Eve together <laughs> and then let's come here and just love our family together. Right? This is not the time. That's easier said than done. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is Jesus and we are not. If you, if you don't want to remember anything else from this message about that, remember that. Right? Jesus is Jesus and we are not. Right? Jesus, one of the ways that he dismantles this argument is, is by saying stuff that no one would have known. <laughs> like he tells them, you're wrong. At the resurrection, people won't get married. They'll be like the angels. Like if Jesus wasn't Jesus we would say, that guy just made something up, right? Like, where did you read that? Like, you look at the Old Testament, like, angels in heaven and marriage? Where does that come from? And Jesus has the authority to say what he wants to say because he invented truth. He is truth. Jesus is truth in human flesh. He is the word that has become flesh. And so Jesus has this beautiful way of dismantling situations because he invented truth and he's the smartest person who ever lived. Right? If you think that you have entered truth and you think you're the smartest person who ever lived, you're not the right person to dismantle a conversation. Jesus was the smartest person who ever lived, and he did, was the founder of all truth and the embodiment of all truth so that Jesus could come into a situation and say, hey guys, your theology's off. Let me tell you, I created the world. I created resurrection. I'm about to do it myself. This is what's true. That's a luxury that we don't have at the Thanksgiving table, right? It'd be cool if we could just make up some theology and, and shut up our relative, right? But then they just come after us as a heretic. And Jesus comes, and he takes their silly situation about seven brides for one brother, or vice versa, whatever, and, and just tears it apart and says, you know what, guys? That's not true. I've been to heaven. It's not like that. <laughs> this is how it really works. That's why it's hard for us, because usually the person who's spouting truth at us, a lot of times it is true, it's just angry. We don't have the luxury of knowing what heaven's like to say, you know what, you're ill-informed about heaven, right? More, more Normally, the people who are being angry at Thanksgiving, angry on the street corner, we would say, right truth, wrong volume, right? Like, yeah, technically you need to follow Jesus to go to heaven, and people who don't know Jesus are going to hell, but stop screaming it on Redwood and the Boulevard, Right? Yeah, we get it, right? Like, your theology is true. But stop yelling. (laughs) Just be quieter. (laughs) Talk about it in a more appropriate place. Jesus had the opportunity to step into the world and help people to see the way that they had interpreted the Bible wrong. I love the New Testament, especially the Gospels in the New Testament, because Jesus came to a religious people who are just trying to follow the Bible, and he's saying, hey, guys, I see you're trying to find the bo- follow the Bible, but that's not what I meant when I wrote it. I, I didn't mean to do that. That's crazy. I meant to do this, right? I- I know you didn't see resurrection in the Old Testament. It was there. Let me show you where it was there. And let me give you a glimpse of what life is like. You've interpreted it wrong. And he tweaks people's view and helps them to see the world as he truly created it. We don't have that luxury. We're not Jesus. But but we can do what Jesus does at the end where he comes to the scriptures and he says, let's talk about this theological concept of the resurrection from the dead. He says, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. I love the one-two punch of Jesus in this passage where he starts out by saying, you guys are totally wrong. I created heaven. Let me tell you about it. And then he comes down to our level and he says, let me point to you in the scriptures where what I'm saying is true. And while it's true that you don't have the ability to go and tell something, someone something that's not in the Bible, you can do what Jesus did here and go to someone who's being crazy and say, hey, let, let me help you to see what the Bible really says. I know that you're just so convinced that God hates everybody. Let me show you in the Bible where it says that he doesn't, where it says that God loved the whole world, that he sent his son to die for the world. He didn't send his son into the, into the world to condemn the, the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Let me help you to see where your theology is. It's causing you to spew hatred. And, and I don't think that's what God would have us to do. It says that we should gently instruct people who oppose us. Let's take people back to the word together and say, right truth, wrong volume, and let's check your heart here. Is it right to be angry? I mean, you're spewing some hatred at Thanksgiving. Is it good to do that? Did God send you to bring hatred into the world or did He send you to bring love into the world? I think sometimes we think that Jesus was kind of atheological. Last week we said sometimes we think he's apolitical, atheological. Like, hey, let's just love people and who cares what we believe in. Jesus was theologically sound. He knew the Bible, he knew the scriptures, he wrote them, right? He, he knew everything about God and his goal was to help people believe rightly about God, but he was able to do it in a way that was beautiful and disarming and life giving. The goal for our lives is not to like live and let live and just let people believe whatever they want to believe and go to hell or whatever, right? But our goal is not to fight and argue people into heaven. It's to engage with folks in a way that is loving and beautiful. I love what Jesus says in next week's passage. Pastor Larry will open with us next week where he says, what's the most important thing in the Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then catch this, Jesus doesn't say, forget about everything else. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. I know people who believe that all that matters is love God, love people, and so just be nice, right? And be a good Christian, and who cares what people believe or what you believe. That's not what Jesus says. He says, love God, love your neighbor, and everything else hangs on this. And I think what he's meaning as he's talking to people like these Sadducees and others, when he's saying all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, is he's saying if your theology causes you to hate God or your theology causes you to hate people, it's probably wrong. If you have a theology that is not hanging on loving God, loving people, you should rethink it. Because Jesus had this beautiful way of believing what was absolutely true, truer than any of our theologies, right? He had a way of believing what was absolutely true, but the way it came out of his soul and into the world just looked like love, looked like grace, looked like mercy, looked like forgiveness. There were hard conversations, but they were life-giving. There was confrontation, but it was beautiful. Sure, he'd say, go and sin no more, but it didn't sound like the guy with the sign saying it. Jesus believed rightly, but the way that it came out, it came out looking a lot like love. And so I know some of us are wrestling with real people in our real families and trying to figure out what what do you do with them, and and that's hard. And Paul says in, in the letter to the churches at Galatia, he said, those who oppose you, maybe it was Timothy, look it up later, those who oppose you, you must gently instruct there's going to be people in this world who disagree with you theologically. There are going to be people, even that you're discipling, who disagree with you, who oppose your leadership, who don't want anything to do with what you're saying about your God. Maybe they're in your own family, right? Trying to raise up your kids, and you're saying, this is what God says, and they're opposing you. When you want to fight against them, Paul says to Timothy, I think now, Paul says, those who oppose you, you must gently instruct. Yeah, help them see the way more accurately, but Do it in a way that looks like love. In the book of Acts, there was a guy named Apollos, and he was going around, he's a new convert, so excited about the gospel, and yet the gospel he was preaching was kind of off, right? Like not theologically correct. And and so he just starts preaching it all over the place, and and we see Luke's account where he goes into this town, and he's preaching the gospel, and these church leaders come alongside him, and they say, hey, Apollos, (laughs) Let, let me help you to see the gospel a little bit more accurately. Right, they didn't kick him out of the church. They didn't yell at him. They didn't like put out one of those big crooks and pull him off the stage, right? Just get this picture as you read that text that they sat him down and said, hey, I love your passion. What you're saying is a little bit wrong, though. <laughs> Here's what it is. And we see that as Apollos grows and is discipled, he starts to believe Rightly. And we get this glimpse of the church as a beautiful place where it's full of passionate people and all of us are wrong about something, right? And we don't just ignore the theological errors. When someone says something crazy in our small group, we don't just be like, well... But we don't fight. We don't argue. We don't gossip. We don't slander. We, we disarm. We come alongside folks and we gently instruct them. We explain the way more accurately. We help them to see in the scriptures what is truly true. And and you know what? When, When it's an agree to disagree moment on some really weird area of theology, we just drop it, right? We agree on the core stuff. We have great conversations about the peripheral stuff. And on the weird stuff, right? How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Who cares, right? And Jesus had a beautiful way of doing that, even with the strongest, strictest, Most ill-intentioned of the religious leaders, he can just disarm them and bring truth into a way that left them astonished. I would love to be a person who does that, who's smart enough to have those theological conversations, who's studied enough to know the word and bring people into an accurate relationship with Jesus, but who does it in a way that looks like love, that disarms and brings unity and truth. I would love for us to pray as we close now and ask God to make us into that type of community. A community that's not known for arguing and fighting and theological anger, but a community that brings people in with welcome arms and helps them understand the way that God wants us to live in a way that is life-giving and humble and beautiful.